The following audio content is a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org. Jesus is a rose, a rose that stems from the branch of Jesse. That means uh, David is Jesse's father, and Jesus is the son of David. But you only get there through a long genealogy. And many of us uh, see gene- genealogies in the scripture with fear and trembling. In fact, we tend to skip over them, don't we? Perhaps part of the reason for that is we don't know how to pronounce any of the names. Maybe another one of the reasons, though, is that we're a little bit intimidated when we uh, encounter such biblical heroism. We find ourselves shrinking in the face of such an august company of saints, don't we? Biblical heroism, people healing diseases, parting oceans, casting out demons, multiplying loaves, a way of life that is as foreign to us as the names themselves. Do not the characters of the Bible seem to live a royal life? And all that we have in the way of royalty are the pains. And most of the times we see our, our lives as ordinary unattractive and insignificant insignificant today we begin advent in a series of worship sermons i'm calling naked humanity we're going to look together at matthew uh, chapters one and two the story the good news of jesus christ gets off to a bumping start in the gospel of matthew so we 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 talk this morning about dysfunction And we're not going to skip over the genealogy. We're going to read it and reflect on it. We will find there some surprises that God calls us to a royal plan. Would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17? If you're visiting, you'll notice a pew Bible, black book, and the rack in front of you. And you'll find our text on page 783. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, 
at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel. And Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah, the Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Well, when you write a book, you want to start the story well. And the gospel writers are very intentional about how they begin the good news that they share about Jesus Christ. Mark begins his gospel with a baptism because it's over the waters of baptism that the Christian life begins. John begins his gospel with the pre-incarnate Son of God in eternity with the Father. Luke begins his gospel with a genealogy a genealogy of Jesus' family descent through Joseph. It's a family history. Matthew also a genealogy, but his genealogy is legal. It's royal. It, tra- it traces the descent of the throne, the right to rule, the, the monarchy through David to Jesus. Well, why begin with a genealogy? Well, two reasons. First of all, a genealogy, the beginning of a story, tells us this story didn't just begin. In fact, we're in the middle of a, of a dramatic uh, thread, a narrative. And friends, we need both testaments to understand who Jesus Christ is, don't we? We need the Old Testament and we need the New Testament. Oftentimes, we tend to choose one or the other. On Friday, I enjoyed a play at Taproot. And imagine if after the first act... While during I was sitting there during the intermission, if I had received a phone call, a page, and was called away from the theater, I would come back and pester my wife and kids. Well, what happened to so-and-so? What happened next? Did everything work out okay? See, if you just have the first part of the drama, you don't have enough. Or if, on the other hand, as was the case, our pizzas were a little slow and we risked missing the whole first act and just jumping in at the second act, we would have been elbowing our neighbors constantly saying, well, who's that guy? And why did everybody just laugh? There'd be no significance to that story because we'll have missed the whole first act. And so Matthew, when he begins the story of Jesus, wants us to know that this is a drama that's already happening. It's like in a serial show. This is the scenes from the previous episode are flashing before our minds as we read through this genealogy. He begins with an unusual way. He says in Greek, this is the book of the Genesis. Now, that's interesting. Genesis is not the usual word you would use to describe a genealogy. It can mean that as an origin. But it also suggests to the first century Jew, by, by then they were using the word Genesis as the first book of the Bible, the way we do. So it recalls to them the very creation narrative, as if to say that Jesus himself is starting so, something so new and so utterly dramatic 
That the only thing to which we can compare it is creation itself. This word, the book of Genesis, would echo a phrase that recurs in Genesis, actually. This phrase, toledoth, these are the generations of. It's a formula that binds the whole book of Genesis together. We realize Genesis is filled with genealogies. Why? Because a promise is made to the seed of the woman. And so we're tracing that history throughout time. When will the promise be fulfilled? So Matthew says, hey, you got to get the first act if you're going to understand the second, the story of Jesus. So he gives us a genealogy. Well, there's a second reason for a genealogy. And that's that a genealogy introduces you to the family, doesn't it? You know, we, you and I, we want to interact with Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Matthew says, not so fast. I want you to meet the family of Jesus. They've got a whole cast of characters. It's like my big fat Greek wedding, right? We just want the marriage. But say, no, you've got to get used to the family. Well, I want to introduce you to the family as well. I can't give you all these characters, but I want you to meet uh, just a few of them. Well, the genealogy begins with Abraham, so let's start there. Abraham's story is in Genesis, Genesis 11. Abraham, welcome. Interesting place to begin a genealogy. Uh, no mention of your father. Why do you think not your father? Well, because because he's dead. Oh, oh. Well, I hadn't thought about that. I thought maybe there'd be uh, so, His something. His father else. was a pagan. Who is that? Well, just never mind that. Uh, pay no attention to him. Uh, well, maybe the genealogy starts with me because of the promise. The promise. Yes. A spiritual promise, a blessing. My father had died and left my wife, Sarah, and me living along the Euphrates River. I was 75 years old, and that's when I began hearing the voice. Whose voice, Abraham? The voice of the Most High. The one who created the heavens and the earth. He is life itself and lives to bless all men. Except all men are evil. Who is that? Never mind. Let it go. But she is almost correct, isn't she? In a way, in a way, yes. We turn against life. We live under the curse of death. I watched my own father die. But worse than that was watching him watch my little brother Heron die. That's why the promise meant so much. We bless those who we love. We put our children on our laps and ask the heavens to give them life. The voice told me the Most High himself would speak his own word of blessing over me. Blessed be Abraham. Blessed be his son. Blessed be the nation that comes from you. Blessed be all the nations of the earth. Wow. You heard that blessing? No, not exactly, but I just heard the promise. Ah, but you're a person of great faith, aren't you, Abraham? Yeah, yes, 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 I am. Not enough faith to keep you from laughing when you heard the promise. Well, I had run out of time. Not enough faith to keep you from sleeping with the maid or selling your wife out twice to foreign kings. Now, now that was scary. Hey, who are these people? I'm awfully sorry, Abraham. They mean no disrespect. Thank you for sharing your story with us. 
Well, next, I'd like to introduce you to the Bible's second millennium B.C. foreign vigilante seductress. We pick up her story in Genesis 38. Ladies and gentlemen, Tamar. Tamar, welcome to the sermon. Thanks, thanks. Now, Tamar, there are a lot of genealogies in the Bible, and for that matter, throughout the ancient Near East, but there's something very rare that happens here, and I think it's so cool that you made it into this genealogy. As you know, women almost never make an appearance in a genealogy. Okay, pal. You want to explain to me how you get a genealogy without women? Oh. Good point. Uh, but, but there is another thing, that, and that is that this is a Jewish family. This is a, an Israelite story. But you, you, you are an Aramean. You're a Canaanite. You're a foreigner. Uh, so what are you, Casper? Okay. Um, anyways, Matthew tells us that uh, you and Judah had two sons. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about when you married Judah. I didn't marry Judah. You didn't. Now I am confused. She's a prostitute. I most certainly am not. Well, that's what we call it where I come from when the fellow pays. Quit being so patriarchal. Let me, uh, let me, okay, Tamar, so you're not a prostitute, but you're not married to the father of your children. Can you tell us what happened? All right, look, all I ever wanted was a family, you know, relationships that actually work. But that family, the family of Jacob, they treat each other like slaves. Okay, when I first met Judah, I found out that Judah and his brothers, these are Jacob's sons, anyhow, they were all hacked off because their little brother Joseph was running around and prancing in his rainbow pajamas, bragging about some dream he had. So they all get together and they say, oh, we'll make you pay for that. And they sold him into slavery. They treat each other like slaves. They are slaves. If you can't beat them, join them. Button it, Buttercup. <laughs> Judah treated me like a slave. And you wanted revenge. I had to have revenge. What else was there? Judah married me to his firstborn son, Ur. And before we could have a child, Ur was struck dead for wickedness. And I had a right to a son. So Judah married me to his next son, Onan. But Onan refused to let me get pregnant. So he was killed young, too. Hmm. Wow. I thought I had a wife to die for. <laughs> if you ask me, she would have been better off. <laughs> Judah only had one son left. And Judah wasn't giving him to me. So without a child... Without a family, eyes forever without loving, honest, and caring relationships. So you turn to prostitution. Just with him. A little disguise, a veil, some perfume. He didn't even recognize me. In fact, three months later, when I started to show, he had the gall to say I should be burned as a prostitute. That was until I produced his signet and his staff and his cord, my patron. You made him pay for his debt. You bet I did. And he, he made you pay for yours. Yeah, you bet he did. Wow. Thank you, Tamar. Thanks for your story. 
Well, no royal genealogy would be complete without a few kings, and Matthew's is no exception. No, we have a few kings here. Let's speed ahead to one of the last of them and see what kind of royalty marks Jesus' bloodline. We pick up his story in 2 Kings 21 and 2 Chronicles 33. Let's welcome the longest ruling king in the Davidic line, the king of Judah on the throne in Jerusalem for 55 years, from 696 to 642, King Manasseh. Welcome, King Manasseh. You, uh, you had a distinguished career, didn't you? Well, yes, I suppose I am known for a certain take-charge management style. His, his father was distinguished. If anyone's a pagan, it's Manasseh. That's actually not true. Okay. You know, I took a lot of criticism for my work from the left and the right. <coughs> you know, <coughs> you can look at that, you know, as an indication that you are truly making progress. That you are threading the leadership needle. So you see yourself as a leader. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, that's what a king is, someone with real authority, someone who knows how to make a difference uh, in the world and, and gets it done. Uh, that was my great passion, to live with the mission. But leadership is the art of maintaining dynamic tension between principle and pragmatism, between the desirable and the achievable, between heaven and earth. Between fact and fiction. If you cared about heaven, maybe we would still oh, have a nation here. The heaven question. These, these types are always so uh, prickly when it comes to spirituality. Yes, I reversed Hezekiah's so-called reforms. Yes, I built altars in high places to the Canaanite deities, Baal and Asherah, uh, throughout Judah. Yes, I put the goddess idol in the Jerusalem temple. Yes, a few innocent people lost their lives, but don't tell me I don't believe in God. I believe in many gods, and I believe in them very much. Judah is in Canaan, friends, and Canaanite spirituality is a fine religious option, and frankly, good agricultural policy. This is what the people wanted. Now, Manasseh... We hear a rumor that because Isaiah disappears after the rule of your father, Hezekiah, that maybe you had something to do with his death. Sawed, no comment. Saw him with a wooden saw. I, no comment. I, I, I don't want to talk about that. <clears throat> I've changed, you know. <sighs> Admittedly, I have had to do some things with which a thoughtful person might feel degrees of uh, discomfort. Like child sacrifice? Huh? Like passing your very own son through the fires of Gehenna in the Valley of Hinnom? Feeding him to the burning god, Moloch. Hey there, Father Abraham. You're not one to talk about child sacrifice. <laughs> Life isn't always pretty for the descendants of Jacob. Hey, I knew Jacob, and you are no Jacob. I think both you guys need a fix. I don't even know Maybe why you need to go back and read yourself some scrolls. Scrolls, Padre. It's not being a chick reality. No, I think we're out of questions and we're out of time. Thank you very much, Abraham, Tamar, and Manasseh. Good luck. Well, welcome to the family, friends. These are the heroes of the biblical story. These are the ancestors of Jesus. And as we read the list, knowing these people, as we drive through the lineage of the Savior, we start to lock the doors and roll up the windows. 
Well, this is a rough part of town, isn't it? But Jesus, is he not the Messiah? Is he not the Son of God? God is holy. God is exalted. God is righteous. God is just. What's a God like you doing in a place like this? Emmanuel, God is with us. This, friends, is the mystery of the incarnation. That God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Not simply that he watches over us with interest, but that he enters into humanity. Jesus Christ did not come to offer us a new standard to kind of raise our standards of excellence. Or a new motivation to get us to work harder at being truly good people. No, he entered time and space. He entered the human race to enter into our failure. To take your failure and mine, to clutch it to his chest. To hold on to it through the crucifixion and the shame of death on a cross. To bury it with him in the darkness of the tomb. And to keep holding on to you and to me as he carries our flesh, our humanity heavenward. And sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. Matthew gives us a little bit of math at the end of this genealogy, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Verse 17 He seems to want us to count. He says, did you notice? Did we notice what? Did you notice the numbers? He goes, well, all verses always have numbers, Matthew. He goes, no, not the verse numbers. The number 14. This history is marked by a pattern. He tells us the 14s. Now, we know all genealogies in the Bible and ancient Near East uh, leave people out. The grandfather is accounted for the father of the son. Generations are are skipped. So Matthew very intentionally works this out so that he gets a story of 14 generations. Why does he do that? I think the reason is a a form of Jewish numerology called gematria. Uh, The Hebrew script has no uh, numerals, no digits for numbers. What they do is they use letters in place of numbers. And gematria is when uh, a word is accounted for in its numeric value. So, for example, the word David has uh, three letters. There are no consonants. D, V, D. And D is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. V is the sixth letter. And so we have four plus six plus four equals 14. I think Matthew very intentionally wants us to discover that the story of human history from Abraham to Jesus is the story of a coming King with the authority and the person and the role and the mission of David himself. Why didn't he just tell us that? Why doesn't he just come out and say this Messiah is like a King David? I think the reason he doesn't do that is because Matthew knows very well that you and I oftentimes fail to realize that there is a king in our story as well. No, friends, the secret to life is discovering the king who's in your drama. Matthew wants us to open our eyes, to look, to pay attention, to do the math. Well, if the Old Testament is Act 1 and the New Testament is Act 2, brothers and sisters in Christ, University Presbyterian Church, today we are living Act 3. When you leave this place, 
you don't just leave a sanctuary. You step out into a great global auditorium. In fact, you step onto the stage. Is your life truly ordinary? Is it truly unattractive and insignificant? Or do you live in the presence of a great king? When you begin to think that maybe you are nothing but a failure in faith, understand that God wants to bless you just the same. There's a king in your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, brothers and sisters. But when you begin to think that maybe you're nothing but a failure in relationships, understand that God is with you to set you free in forgiveness. There is a king in your life. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife, his children, and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him his debt. Friends, your debt has been paid and you are reconciled to your Lord and to one another. But when you begin to think that maybe you're nothing but a failure in work, understand that God is with you to equip you for a life of purpose. There is a king in your life. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our flesh, our humanity yearns for you. And in the fullness of time, the Father sent the Son as a babe, vulnerable, weak, but like us in all respects except for sin, that we might know that we always have a king in our life. Now we wait for that king to return, and we ask for the grace to recognize his his presence in our life this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All University Presbyterian Church online audio is available on both CD and cassette. If you would like to support the mission of UPC by ordering copies of sermons or classes, please visit www.upc.org forward slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.